Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a sustained weight loss and self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are now certified integrative nutrition health coaches, and together with our community, we are learning to live our best lives by telling one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them and sharing personal stories of real people, we aim to destigmatize the process. Join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. On this week's episode, we are pleased to welcome Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. Eric had a 22-year career in law enforcement as a part of the NYPD, was elected to and served for four terms in the New York State Senate, and in 2013 was elected as the president of the Borough of Brooklyn. Although Eric has had a long career in public service, today he shares with us a more personal health journey of his and how that journey has helped to inform current health policy initiatives for the Borough of Brooklyn. In 2016, Eric was diagnosed with type two diabetes. Having lost vision in his left eye and having suffered from nerve damage in his hands and feet, he went against the initial recommendations of his doctors and instead pursued a whole food plant-based diet. Within three months, Eric reversed his diabetes diagnosis and he has subsequently been able to impact the health of countless New Yorkers facing chronic disease. We really appreciated having this in-depth conversation about food, health, and health advocacy with President Adams, and hope that you leave this conversation feeling a little bit more empowered about your own health journey. Enjoy the episode. We have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune-boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy-boosting treat to a health-enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee, and even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout, and there's also a direct link in our show notes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, ladies, for having me. To start off, can you tell us and our listeners a little bit about your personal um, journey in in your own health and wellness? Well, I I think that my uh, journey is probably, uh, the beginning is uh, atypical to the average American um, encounter. And it's amazing when I start to reflect on it, on how much we fell into um, a comfort of, you know, what our life journey should be and could be. And it's almost this term that we're hearing a lot about now with coronavirus, um, our new norms, as we go from uh, being healthy to unhealthy to, you know, almost just waiting to die, basically. And so after 22 years of being in the police department, uh, I believe my my body finally 
uh, reached a point that it could no longer take the abuse that is sustained um, from the diet that I had. And just a typical, you know, American diet. And and I looked really physically, I looked fine because I spent a lot of time in the gym. I exercised a lot. I, you know, I ran from time to time. And I looked physically, but I didn't take an in- internal selfie, as, as I like to say. And, you know, I just want to dispel the myth right away about do cops like donuts? Yes, we do. All kind. I mean, we must have, I must have consumed from a jelly donut to a custard. But, you know, that was the diet. A fast, greasy, fatty, sugar, processed. And I was, after I left the police department, I became a state senator. And I served in the state senate for uh, seven years. And same diet, just transitioned from... Um, being a police officer to a, an elected official. And it wasn't until I became the bar president of Brooklyn. Uh, the Brooklyn bar president is equivalent to what you would call a county executive. Brooklyn is the largest borough out of the five boroughs in New York City. Uh, I was out of the country and I received a pain in my stomach. I thought it was colon cancer because I really I lost a real good friend to colon cancer and the symptoms were the same. And, you know, men, you have to drag to the hospital. You know, you just suck it up. But I, I knew that something was wrong, and I decided when I came back to the country, I uh, went to see my internist, and he sent me to have a, a colonoscopy and to check my stomach all, and my stomach also. Um, while I was under, they checked my stomach and my colon. When I came back, uh, the doctor told me that, Eric, you know, you have an ulcer and your colon is fine but your real problem is your diabetes. Your diabetes is at a coma level. Your A1C is extremely high. And at that time, I, was, I lost my sight in my left eye. And I was losing it in my right, and my hands and feet, were, they were tingling for you know, about a month or so. Little did I know uh, that it was due to the advanced stages of diabetes. Uh, I had nerve damage in my hands and feet. I couldn't even feel my right thigh. I thought it was from playing football earlier in my life and uh, the vision loss, uh, my blood pressure was high, my, my PSA for my cholesterol was high, my um, cholesterol was high. You know, I walked into the doctor's office with no medicine. I walked out with medicine for my, um, three medicine for my diabetes. He said he had to put me on insulin right away. Um, medicine for my vision loss, for my nerve damage, for my ulcer, for my blood pressure, for my cholesterol. I, I just walked out as a pharmaceutical company. And, you know, I, I just said I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up. You know, I, uh, you know what's, what's amazing is that when he said I was diabetic, that a part of me said, you know, hey, you knew this was coming. You know, your mother's diabetic. Uh, your brothers and sisters are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. Your aunties are diabetic. And we, we use a term that, you know, they have a little sugar. We sweeten the term of diabetes. And, and it wasn't until he shared the vision loss in the, in the fingers and, and toe loss. I said, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> this, is, this is not what I thought this diabetes thing was about. And so I've, I just decided I did something scientific. I went to Google and Google reversing diabetes. And all of this information came up and I found some great doctors, Dr. Esselton in Ohio from the Cleveland Clinic. Um, when I got, to, I called him, told him who I was, and stated that I was reading your material, and I want to know is, is is it too late for me? And he told me to fly down to see him, 
and I took an early morning flight, flew down to see him. I got to the airport as fate will have it. There was a book there on the shelf from Dr. Gregor, How Not to Die, uh, Dr. Barnett's book, um, Reversing Diabetes. And uh, I was reading while I was on the plane and I was like, what is this that I'm reading? And little did I know, uh, Dr. Gregor, uh, Dr. Esselton, when I saw him in Ohio, he told me that, um, listen, you can reverse your condition if you would give up the food you eat. And I remember saying to myself, what's wrong with this nut? I'm, I'm losing my sight. And he's telling me to give up fried chicken. Is, is this guy for real? And, you know, life is funny. You know, when I got back to New York and I started throwing out the items in my fridge and in my pantry, from that session I had with him, I realized that I had nothing fresh in my, and, and that I was consuming. Everything was processed. All the food that I was eating, you know, there was nothing that was fresh. And so I just committed myself from that day. And three weeks later, after going to a whole food plant-based diet, my vision came back. My ophthalmologist was, she was blown away. She said, I've never seen anything like this before. She told me prior to that, that I had to turn in my driver's license. She said, you can no longer legally drive. You're legally blind and you have to turn in your license. And three months later, my A1C went in complete reversal. My nerve damage went away. My uh, ulcer went away. Uh, all of these things went away without medicine. And we've, I've continued on this journey. I never felt better, lost 35 pounds. And just, it's just an unbelievable journey. And, and I, although I was pleased, there was a level of anger that I had that so many people are living this life every day, believing that they are going to make this transition and have to continue to adjust to the new norm of taking that pill everywhere. Make sure it's packed in your bags. Make sure you're injecting yourself, um, going to the hospice, uh, visiting your family members. It's criminal what has happened to uh, the American people. And I'm dedicated and committed, committed to at least giving people the empowering information uh, that you can live, not just survive. Yeah, that thank you so much for sharing your story because it's very powerful and I think a lot of people in this country can really relate to it. You know, both of my parents um, have reversible diabetes and um, there was a period of my childhood where we grew up with no money and all we could afford to eat, right, was um, fast food and processed food and all of that. So um, I've definitely lived it and been there. But I'd love to know too, so um, you get this, you know, prescription full of medicine. And now you go see this doctor. And like you said, you're like, how am I ever going to give up fried chicken? Like, how am I going to give up these foods that I love? Because food is so emotional. And, you know, we have these patterns, right? Like even myself, like fast food is comfort food, because that's what we ate when I was really little, right? So what was the process like of then changing your diet, like that emotional component for you of going, okay, I literally have to get everything out of my house because there's no whole foods here. Like, how was that process emotionally beginning a whole food plant-based diet? It's a great question because, you know, food is like crack. It's like heroin, you know, and you have to respect it as such. And, you know, you, if you think you're just going to say, okay, uh, I'm not going to eat this anymore, 
Uh, you in for a reality check. I went through some serious withdrawals, no different than any form of drug, alcohol, cigarette smoking, uh, eating. Uh, you know, I will never look down on a person hooked on drugs again in my life. You know, those first seven days, I woke up thinking about uh, steak and chicken and and just, you know, it was hard, sweats and just fighting and just, you know, I really believed that I couldn't do it. And it wasn't until probably uh, day eight or nine that I said that, you know, you gotta make a decision here. You know, you, you're going to have to choose. And I just really immersed myself in it. And the first uh, two, three weeks, or probably the month, my food was so terrible. I mean, I would eat, um, my cereal in the morning was flax seeds without grinding them. You know, I would eat these different mixtures. Um, but I said, I'm going to, going to try. I wasn't a cook. Uh, I knew nothing about cooking. I ate out all the time. And now 90% of what I eat, if not higher, I cook myself. But it was about just not giving up. And I started learning my taste buds. And I started finding out, well, I like a salty taste. So what is the combination of salt that I'm looking for? What am I trying to, I started reading up on my tongue and different places on my tongues that look for different uh, tastes, the power of dates to deal with, with your sweet taste that you're looking for, the power of different things. Then I started searching spices and learning that spices, spices are more powerful than the food you eat. Cumin, oregano, um, turmeric with, salt, with pepper mixed with it and what does it do for your liver and absorption and I started learning about these spices and every uh, week I would learn a different spice and how to cook with it and so it was a slow evolution that I was not on a diet I was on a lifestyle change and the relationship with my food was a different relationship I used to eat and then feel bad after I ate something I knew when I was eating that garlic, how I was building my immune system, everything that was in my bowl, my Buddha bowl, I call it, of a mixture of food, I knew that it was playing a role. So the relationship was, was different, but it was not an easy one. It was an evolution. And like any evolution, um, it takes time because I identified those cupcakes and those uh, different food items as the relationships I had with my aunt, you know, my dad used to, we used to eat this cake whenever I did bad in softball or baseball. And so when, when, when the doctor was telling me I had to give up these items, I was not only giving up on what I was consuming, I was giving up on those relationships. And so when I'm talking to people about no longer eating certain items, I'm sharing with them with the understanding that food is comforting. It is where we go when we're sad, when we broke up with a loved one, when we lost a job, or when we're angry, when we're under stress. And I, people, if you don't know that, you don't realize that you are doing it. And that is part of this whole process. So it's not only a, a consumption of what you eat, it is really starting to identify who you are as a person. I'm not the human being that I was um, three and a half years ago. I'm a different human being right now. I love hearing stories like yours because, well, Erica and I are both 
health coaches now, um, certified integrative nutrition health coaches, which was actually as a result of our own journeys too. Um, we're both in different fields and after a cancer experience when I was 29 years old and she had this 50 pound sustained weight loss experience too, through like self-love and similar to what you're talking about, like this evolutionary sort of experience where it's not just a physical experience, it's emotional, it's mind, body, spirit, it's all, it's all of it, right? It's holistic in that sense. And I get excited hearing stories like yours because it's really, um, it's not an easy, it's not an easy journey, but it's a really exciting one because when you can change that relationship, when you can also start to change the way fuel food works for you as fuel and maybe develop a new, like I love eating. I love cooking. I love, I, it's still emotional for me, but it's now what can I give myself to feel good forever, not for the moment, which is going to then make me feel really bad after that and that cycle. And so I just, I just get very excited and a little bit nerdy when I hear stories like yours because it's really, it's, it feels hopeful. And um, I'd love to touch a little bit on something you sort of touched on earlier in your journey, which is, you know, a lot of Americans, A, don't know that food or what we perceive food to be culturally a lot of the time, which is um, oftentimes processed or fast food, as Erica was talking about. Um, and, and there are so many reasons we go to that. A, it's affordable, you know, and like certain communities only have options. Eric and I are really passionate about food accessibility and affordability. And there are food deserts all over this country which certain communities don't even have access to fresh food. But my question for you is, you know, how, how do you start to explain to people or how did you start to understand when you're saying that you never will look at like a, a person suffering with addiction the same way again? How did you learn? Was it through um, your experience with Dr. Esselstyn at the Cleveland Clinic? Is he at Cleveland Clinic, you said? Yes, Cleveland okay. Clinic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or is it, how did you know that like processed food and things like that can have the same effect on the brain that it's not just an aspect of willpower, but it's also there's aspect of like addictive food that's made in laboratories that keeps us sick, keeps people sick and addicted to it. When did your relationship with that, like how did that start to transform for you? That's that, that is uh, a, an observation that uh, people need to understand you know, there is nothing wrong with you. Yes. Uh, people in this industry of food are masters at colors, masters of how the, you know, the brain operate, uh, how to attract you, um, how to put food in your grocery stores, which aisle to put it down, uh, what colors you need to look at, how to uh, really uh, connect with your children, you know, they spend uh, hundreds of millions of dollars just on how do I get your attention? How do I make you feel good about yourself? And so when people feel as though, oh, I, I don't have the willpower, something is wrong with me. No, there's nothing wrong with you. The system has been built to set you up and for you to fail. Yeah. 
-hmm. And you need to understand that. And once you start acknowledging that, then you can move in the direction of correcting that. And I started reading more and more and more and understanding that what the two of you are doing, um, it's so important because our healthcare system is basically built on the medical aspect of it, of really is the sick care of treating the symptoms, but no one is dealing with the emotional attachment that people are dealing with what's causing them to be sick in the first place. You need a life coach. You need someone that understands the behavioral science of this. Like how do you uh, know that the donut you eating is impacting your diabetes and you still eating it anyway it's, 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 it's not medical. There's a reason you are attached to that donut. There's a reason that you are self-poisoning yourself and self-medicating yourself. And if we don't respect that, we're not going to really start turning the curve. And so once I started reading and looking into how the brain operates and the same pleasure senses um, where uh, drugs and alcohol and the same endorphins that is released, uh, once I started looking at that, it just started making so much sense of why it was so difficult to wean myself off instantly, and it was a slow process. I was going through the same process as anyone that's, that is addicted to something. And so the more and more you become knowledgeable of that, support groups, you know, some of the things we're doing here in the city of having all of our churches have health ministries, because you need support to get through this. You need people around you uh, to be a part of this evolution and journey. If you're married, you will want your mate to support you through this. You don't want your mate you know, really tearing you down because you no longer eat meat. What blows my mind, if you want to, want to see people be angry, let them learn you're not eating meat. Oh my God, it's like, why would you think you're special? You think you're better than anyone? You can say that, listen, I, I am using some drug and they say, okay, we're gonna accept you into the circle. But once you say you're not eating meat, it's like, it's like what? Were you some type of weirdo? You know, so what we are doing, particularly in the African-American com community, which people think plant-based vegan is a white thing. You know, you know, oh, you think you're so white now, you know? We're showing the connectivity between slavery and the food that people are eating. They, we've, we've taken dangerous food and turned it into soul food, and it is in our, all of our communities, and we're educating people so they can see the connection. Because I think when people, once people start to realize that they, the reason your baby has that asthma pump is because of what you're serving him. The reason he can't sit still in the third grade is because of what you're putting on his plate at home. We are showing people the connection between health, crises, behaviors, depression, all of these things that are food related. Alzheimer's, we had some great doctors here. We had an event here at Borough Hall around uh, Alzheimer's and de dementia food. The place was packed. You know, we're showing people you are not ill because of your DNA. You're ill because of your dinner and you could turn it around and that is empowering to people. And that is what we're showing folks. That is empowering to people. And I think, you know, with the current um, health crisis that's going on right now, it's, you know, it's bringing light um, to 
disparities, health disparities in different communities that have always existed. But now, I, you know, it's getting more attention on a grander scale, which it should, because it's like, it is empowering, you know, and it's, it's not okay that the system is particularly stacked against certain communities, right? Like, even the death rates are higher in, I was looking, like, uh, I was reading something about in Chicago between black communities and white communities, there are higher death rates in black communities just in Chicago, same city, but because of, you know, certain pre-existing conditions, systemic racism and healthcare in general, but then it's like, but if people don't know that it's sort of like being stacked against them, how can they understand that even just changing their dinner is an act of, is a, like a revolutionary act in a way. We wanted to take a quick moment away from this episode to share an exciting new discount code we have with Energy Bits. Energy Bits is a company that sells bits of whole food edible algae, spirulina and chlorella for vitality, immunity, energy, recovery, beauty, and more. Energy Bits are sustainable, non-GMO, and provide pure, safe, protein-packed, plant-based nutrition from real food. Everything from the company is consciously and sustainably sourced, and they only sell the highest quality spirulina and chlorella. This edible algae is also the most alkaline and nutrient-dense food in the world and is used by professional athletes and wellness enthusiasts alike. These little bits pack a major punch. Erica and I are currently taking Energy Bits daily, blended into our smoothies, mixed into a dairy-free yogurt bowl, or taken individually as tablets with our other daily superfood supplements. We both have been using the Vitality Bits specifically to boost our immune system and overall health. Vitality Bits are 50% chlorella and 50% spirulina, and it is really unmatched in its nutrient profile. I also really love the Beauty Bits, which promote glowing skin, better energy, and total beauty from the inside out. If you want to try Energy Bits, you can save 20% on your order when you visit energybits.com and use the code CWPODCAST at checkout. Let us know what you think and tag us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness. We know you will love the products as much as we do. You can also check out the direct link in our show notes. Now, back to the episode. And I'd love to go into your initiatives and how you work through this because I think that aspect to it, right, um, you know, when my family was, did not have much money, you know, we survived on dollar menu McDonald's, right? That's, that was just the reality of our existence. And so whenever I hear people <laughs> talk about in wellness communities, you know, it can often be said, oh, well, like, you know, you need to make the time to go make this. That, that wasn't a reality for my mom who was single and working two jobs. And, you know, there was that drive through and she needed to feed her children. Um, and then of course, you know, that concept, like you said of that community, right? It was actually, I, I have a 50 pound weight loss. But my brother lost a hundred pounds mm. and my mom also lost a hundred pounds. Right. It, but both of these things happened for them after, our financial situation in our family did start to change for the better, right? Because there was this component of when, when it was really hard, it was just easy and cheap. And my mom was doing the best she could. Right. And those are those dollar menus, you know, so it is, it's like 
we need the knowledge and we need to empower ourselves to know that our choices really do matter, but also, right, people don't have access or they can't necessarily afford whole foods, right? So I think that's hard. So maybe you can talk to that and some of the initiatives you do to support and help that as well. Because like, you know, we were on free lunch, um, my brother and I, and that was also not, this was a long time ago, you know, I'm in my early 30s now, but at that time, it wasn't the most nutritious food either, you know, in the public school systems in Los Angeles. But um, yeah, that 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 is so important, and I really love your 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 narrative and your your story because I, you know, I was able to get my mother to go through a, to a whole food plant based diet, and after two months, my mommy was diabetic for fifteen years, and she was seven years on insulin, and after two months, she was off her insulin, and at the age of eighty. And so it's never too late for those who are out there believing that, you know, well, it's too late for me. I'm already uh, ill. Uh, That is not true. It is reversible. And uh, poverty is real. And, you know, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of need of food, shelter, clothing, you know, many people think that at the top end of the pyramid of self-actualization, when you could talk about um, having the luxury of eating healthy, and, you know, it's unfortunate that many of us who are in this space of wellness uh, it, it don't have the story you just shared. You know, they just had to transition to eating something different. They didn't have to transition into having a meal at all. And that's a different conversation of when your only option is that dollar menu. So we have to start in our country we have to start looking at this whole term called the social determinants of health. And we need to put money into those real obstacles that prevent people from having the quality of life. I need to subsidize the meal plan that you and that your mother and a family like your mother, I need to subsidize that to make sure you don't have to get that dollar menu. That dollar, I'm going to add $2 to that and give you a more healthy meal. Because if I give you that healthy meal, then you're not going to feed the crises. And the big problem is, is that government is feeding the crises. Anytime you have a school system that is in conflict with the Department of Health, the Department of Health is spending millions of dollars all over the country talking about uh, fighting childhood diabetes, childhood asthma, and uh, uh, childhood uh, uh, weight problems, obesity. But in New York, for example, we're feeding our children 960,000 meals a day. That causes childhood obesity, childhood diabetes, childhood asthma. Our correctional facilities, we are feeding our inmates food that we know is going to cause them sick. Senior centers, adult daycares, hospitals. You're in a hospital um, for colon cancer. You get back to your room, you're having the food that caused the colon cancer in the first place. If we don't move from the caloric consumption to nutritional consumption, we'll never get it right. And many people don't do that. We're seeing it every day. Some smart people have never really understood how we're feeding the crises. And so I think one of the most important things we can do as policymakers is that we need to identify the social determinants of health. And we need to start to put our resources in those social determinants. We need to make food affordable. We need to make, food must look good, taste good, and be good for you. 
We need to show people how to do it on a small budget. We did a video showing people how to shop in a, in a supermarket, you know, how you can get dry beans and, you know, you can make uh, patties, a, a bean burger, how you can make soup, a stew. You know, we need to show people. We, we were at a food pantry giving our food around Thanksgiving and the number of people I handed a beat to looked at it and say, I don't know what to do with this. So part of what we need to do is show people how to eat healthy, how to cook a meal, how to chop it up, how to grate it, how to make uh, ice cream out of frozen bananas and, and cacao powder and carrot powder, all of these healthy things. And so we need to go down and stop being so high and mighty. Let's meet people where they are and let's take them where they ought to be. Let's not meet them where we are and expect for them to catch up with us. Yeah. Thank you. That's, I, you know, like I said, Erica and I get really excited about this stuff because, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because we are in, when we sort of moved into this space, which happened very organically, this wellness world, um, the, I'm going to, I'm going to target the Los Angeles wellness world, which we are part of an amazing community here, but the LA uh, wellness world is particularly privileged and let's call it, it's like pretty white too on top of that, right? Like it's very, and it can be very much about like appearances of like green juice and hiking <laughs> and like, you know, it's like, oh, what do people do all day? They do, do they not go to work? Like, you know what I mean? Oh, I can just like make smoothies and, and hike all day. That's great. But that's not most people's reality, right? right and so right. part of what we've tried to do is how do we not only expand, like you're talking about create, create education, education and accessibility to people who can be empowered by it, but also educate the sort of very privileged community about how much like sort of how out of touch some aspects of that can be as well. And like, like you said, not just meet that people where we are or where someone else is, but where like they are. And yes, that's how yes. change can actually happen. And um, one of the things I was reading about that you guys have done, I think it was this past year in 2019, was your lifestyle medicine clinic pilot. Um, can And as health coaches, I love seeing that it's a, you know, a team of doctors, dietitians, and health coaches that came together and that there was um, a positive response and it was renewed for 2020. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? And I'm, I'm curious, like what the results were, what actually happened and then, and then the demand for it after, after that pilot. Really exciting. We, we are, we are excited about the program. It's at Bellevue hospital and as faithful would uh, have it. Uh, we, the Bellevue hospital is the oldest hospital in America. And we have the first lifestyle medicine clinic in Bellevue Hospital in America. Uh, Health and Hospital Corporation, one of the largest uh, hospital systems in America. And it is about lifestyle medicine, where we are not looking to treat symptoms, but we're looking to treat underlying reasons that people get sick in the first place. Uh, and it's a team of people um, from nutritionists to uh, health coaches to doctors. And we're looking at uh, how do we reverse people's uh, health conditions, get them off medicine, and really start educating them. 
Now, our healthcare system does not support a system like this. You know, because when you're speaking to a nutritionist or a life coach, you can't do it one time and then disappear. You need that interaction and that engagement. But even with uh, the impediments, we have been extremely successful. We have, we have uh, over 100 people that are in the program doing extremely well. 700 people are on the waiting list to get in the program. So you see there's a demand for it. We're going to look to expand it into some of our other safety net hospitals in the borough. And it is teaching people things that we talked about, um, how to you know, cook meals, what's, what's the right meals to cook, how to go and shop for your food, all of these things that uh, you, you know, one would take for granted, but really we don't, you don't know. And you know what? You don't know what you don't know. And so the, the Bellevue experiment, uh, we're looking to expand it. As you stated, we were successful in getting another year but it's unbelievable that we we have we have to convince people to do this in the first place. But we're going to keep chugging along, and hopefully we we'll, we we'll keep showing the data. We should have the data released in about a month or so to show the first phase. The preliminary numbers are pretty impressive, and we're waiting to do a full analysis on exactly how well we, we, we're, we're doing. So we're excited about the program. We think it has a great chance of really changing what we think about medicine, uh, not only in New York, but in America. Yeah, you guys are setting the tone for what I hope we can all adopt and continue to grow all, all around the country. Yeah. You also, I noticed, have a Meatless Monday initiative, which I think is really cool and um, I think can be implemented, right, like nationally. Can you maybe touch on, right, like I th I've heard so many people say, is it, can one day, right, can one day off of not eating meat actually do anything, right, to my body, to my well-being? So maybe you can touch on that about like why Meatless Monday is important or just choosing one day a week to, to quit animal consumption. Yes, yes. I think for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, uh, if, if Americans just move away from meat one, two, three days, it will have a major impact on uh, the destruction of our planet. Uh, many people talk about uh, how do we deal with the burning of fossil fuel? Uh, how do we uh, change the type of fuel and type of energy sources we use? And you know, how do we change emissions standards? But you don't hear any conversation at you know the overconsumption of meat and on the planet and what it is doing to our environment from the waste from cows to um, what we're doing in the Amazon by uh, deforestation. That is for uh, raising cattle, cows and cattle feed. And 44% uh, of the food that we grow goes to feeding animals. Uh, so when you start to look at the impact of our overconsumption of meat and how not only is this hurting our mother, but it's hurting Mother Earth, and we can make a difference. So when you look at Meatless Mondays, I think it helps in several different ways. Number one, when you go through Meatless Mondays, you're going to wake up Tuesday and you're going to say, wow, I didn't die. I can actually go a day without eating meat. You know, there's some people that believe meat is the center of their plate and the center of their life. You know, the thought of not having meat for a whole day is just so hard for many people. But if you're able to do it that one day, 
and taste something healthy, try something different, uh, able to do that, you come out saying, wait a minute, I can do this. And that's what we're looking for right now for people to see they can do this. So you have the tangible results of decreasing the consumption of meat throughout our entire country, particularly in a place like uh, New York where we feed hundreds of thousands of people. We have 1.1 million students in school alone. So every day we speed them twice a day. So you, you have uh, that area, we feed people in correction, ACS, hospitals, uh, senior centers. So if we could get our entire city to go meatless Mondays, uh, we would be helping our ozone and we would start to carve a space where people would start doing the R&D that's needed to come up with great tasting meals because we're a market for it. So we can create a market just on our buying power. Then it would encourage people to start looking and say, you know what, maybe I could do a meatless Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then eventually start making the transition to see how good their bodies would feel, how they don't walk around bloated and constipated and heavy and feeling as though uh, they're always lethargic and tired. They say, wait a minute, I'm noticing on Mondays, when I do my meatless Mondays, my body feels different. That is what we want to do. We want to introduce people so they can start the evolution. And so we've been successful. We have meatless Mondays in our schools. We have meatless Mondays in our hospitals. We're looking to get other places to have a default. Uh, we've, we've been successful in our correctional facilities, and we're going to keep pushing until everyone will start to understand it's not about caloric consumption, it's about healthy nutritional food in our uh, food pantries, in our food harvests, all of these places that we feed people, we want to make sure that they know that it is about healthy food, not just any food. Yeah, and our food system, you know, Dr. Mark Hyman talks a lot about this, but our food system and our medical system and our and big pharma, big food, they're all so deeply intertwined. Yes. And so um, it, it really is, like you said, even just making a little shift can make a, a massive shift as far as demand um, and creating the market for it too, which is, would, is the goal, right? Um, yes, yes. And, and that's you so know, important what you said about... I believe that our Department of Health and our Health and Hospital Corporation, all of, the, all of these groups, our Department of Education, Department of Health, Health and Hospital, those are the agencies in the city, they need to all be together in the purchasing of food. Our pediatricians should have input in what food we're buying and serving our children in our pre-K and 3K level. All of this must be intertwined together. You know, our medical professionals should be dictating what food we're serving in our schools, our hospitals, our jails, not someone that knows nothing about nutrition. Educators educate. Nutritionists that are well-educated should be deciding what food we are consuming. There's a lack of understanding that what we're feeding people is causing our crises, and our crises is not sustainable. 30 million Americans with diabetes, 84 million are pre-diabetic, spending 80 cents on a dollar for chronic disease diseases, creating 
um, viruses, overuse of antibiotics that's creating superbugs, pandemics. We haven't seen anything yet if we don't turn the course. How we're living is not sustainable, and we need to understand that. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And thank you so much for the work that you are doing and joining us today. And just, it's it's truly amazing. And we need more people like you out there doing this good work. Um, thank you. So, you know, to wrap up, we always ask our guests um, a couple of questions. And the mm-hmm. first one is always a little fun. But what do you do as this, <laughs> you know, busy, busy um, man, you know, working on, you know, health and policy? What are some of the ways that you take care of yourself? Do you have any self-care practices that are non-negotiable? Uh, turn it, uh, learning how to and enjoying uh, turning down the noise. And it's amazing something that we have complete control over. We give it to others. And that's quiet. Uh, the body cannot be in fright and flight stage and heal. It needs to be in the healing stage. And um, when I meditate in the morning and in the evening, and when I feel the need to just go somewhere and be quiet for a moment, I do so, and it's not negotiable. Um, I'm as much as uh, my team and I uh, do every day, and it's a lot. Uh, I do not allow anything to get in the way of the quiet time. And when I know it is time just to turn down the noise and allow my body to just relax and just heal itself. Thank you. And then the last question we ask is, um, do you have a book recommendation you would like to offer to our listeners? It could be something that's just meant something to you in your journey, can be on nutrition, whatever, anything that just has meant something to you along the way. Oh, man, there's a lot. Good Lord. Um, One of my favorite is Dr. Gregg's How Not to Die. I think that's uh, my favorite book. I, I give it to a lot of people. Uh, to read. I think Dr. Gregg's Bird Flu should be a must-read read for everyone. Um, you know, things like coronavirus and the other flus, uh, they didn't come out of no thin air. Uh, and I just think that's a must-read that we start engaging on how we get prepared for the future. But those are probably uh, the two of my favorite. And then I'm a nut for uh, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, you know, I just think he he's a great storyteller and I enjoy his stories and his books. But, you know, those are those are the three that I would say. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you again for joining us today on the podcast. Thank and you. if any of thank our you. listeners want to get involved or um, find you, where can they find you and learn more about getting involved in your initiatives? <laughs> you go to my website. It's uh, E. Adams at brooklyn.nyc.gov. All right. Well, thank you so much again, (laughs) Brooklyn Borough President Adams. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Take care. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch through our website, www.courageouswellnesspodcast.com. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness. Courageous Wellness.